this morning in the kids' class, we said buenos dias. Oh, that wasn't too good. But now it's buenas tardes, so let's <laughs> start that one. Buenas tardes. Buenas tardes. Okay. Well, uh, once again, we uh, wanted to thank you for your faithful prayers and support for us, uh, for family, for ministry. Um, and it's great to be here. Uh, Wendy's from Michigan, and uh, we had the opportunity to go to the church where she was uh, basically born and raised uh, in the Grand Rapids area just a few weekends ago. Um, as you, most of you know, uh, we have finished up our ministry in Spain, and right now we're in the process of transferring to serve in the country of Peru, South America. And we prayed for wisdom, we discussed the issues, and we sought uh, godly counsel. It's not a decision we took lightly. Um, in our video, uh, in our presentation, uh, PowerPoint presentation, we'll explain uh, basically how God worked in our lives to this point, and uh, it'll introduce you to the country of Peru itself and uh, our future ministry there. We, uh, we meant to have um, something uh, that... Uh, we just play and we could sit down and enjoy <laughs> it, but it's not ready yet, so hopefully it'll be done this week. Okay. And you can see, see it up there. All right, good. Okay. This is on the wrong page. Okay. It's still backwards from yeah, last week. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, I wanted to explain this first picture. Um, yeah, it's on. Um, if you saw the details there, I actually have uh, very uh, dark teeth. That's back when they, I had uh, pneumonia as a child in a, a hospital here in the States. I don't know if it was New York or Ohio or something, but uh, it turned my teeth all dark. I don't know if that happened to any of you. but uh, So all the kids in Peru, hey, you've got rotten teeth, you've got rotten teeth. But they weren't rotten. They, I just had uh, taken some antibiotics. I was born in Iquitos, Peru, to missionary parents, Fred and Rachel Patton, and spoke Spanish before I spoke English. I became a teacher and married Ruth Vandermeer in 1988. I grew up in a pastor's family living in Michigan and New York, then went to Japan as a short-term missionary after college in 1993. The next summer at ABWE's candidate classes, I was appointed to Japan and John and Ruth Patton were appointed to Spain for career service. We served in our respective fields for many years. In 2005, Ruth was diagnosed with cancer. She lost an almost three-year battle and was promoted to heaven in 2008. I thought about changing fields at that difficult time. However, I decided to remain in Spain to be a good testimony to the believers there. In 2009, John and I began corresponding via email and visits to Japan and to Spain. We were married in 2010, and I moved to serve with John in Spain. Julia and Jessica, now six and five, were born in our first term together. After furlough in 2016, we moved to a different area of Madrid to start a new church plant. For a long time, I have uh, had a desire to minister in Peru, but did not feel called there during the 1994 candidate classes. Last year, we helped in the teaching and preaching ministries in the Latin American church in Madrid. We felt comfortable there and enjoyed working with Peruvian pastor Marco and his wife, Silvia. This experience increased my desire to return to Peru to work with Peruvians. 
As a new wife, I felt I should join my husband John in his work in Spain. However, there were challenges being in the same area where John had served with Ruth. Looking back, I think going to a third country in the first place would have been a better idea. John's brother Andy and his wife Carol are serving in Peru now. Carol wants to reopen the MK school and needs teachers. I taught all ages of missionary kids in Japan and am excited about teaching again. Another reason in our changing fields is monthly support. Our support has decreased due to churches losing members and aging individuals supporters. The requirements for Peru are about $1,000 less per month than for Spain. These factors, along with prayer and counsel, have helped us to see God's leading to Peru. We have the blessing of our home church, Northland Community Church, and Pastor David Smith, as well as the support of the ABWE Spain and Peru teams. Our family took a survey trip to Peru in August and are excited to return to serve there. Peru is a land of great beauty and much diversity with towering mountains and coastal plains, with vast deserts and dense rainforests, teeming with plants and animals, with hundreds of riverways and great canyons deeper than the U.S. Grand Canyon. The third largest country in South America after Brazil and Argentina, Peru, is, a, Peru is about the size of Alaska. In the north, Peru nearly touches the equator. Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil, Bolivia, and Chile border the country. Peru is divided into three areas, the Andes Mountains, the Pacific Coast, and the Amazon River Basin. The Andes are the longest mountain chain in the world, stretching about 4,500 miles down South America. They form the backbone of the country and have cold temperatures. In the highlands, llamas are still used as pack animals. The Pacific Coast is one of the driest in the world and has milder climate. Nearly half of the population lives near the capital Lima on the Pacific. The Amazon River Basin, which covers two-thirds of the nation's land, is hot and humid year-round. Eight feet long paiche fish, which make good eating, majestic jaguars, monkeys, frogs, and 1,800 species of birds thrive in the rainforest. The Incan Empire ruled in Peru for about 300 years, building great palaces, temples, and cities, including the famous tourist attraction Machu Picchu. When the Spanish conquistadors under Francisco Pizarro arrived in 1532, they executed the last Incan emperor and established Lima as the capital. The Spanish ruled for about 300 years until Peru became an independent republic in 1821. Unfortunately, the last 200 years have been filled with military coups, dictatorships, and political corruption. Modern Peru retains its Incan character, but Spanish influence can be seen in the magnificent cathedrals, elaborate fiestas in Spanish language. Peru's 30 million people are mostly indigenous or mestizos, people of mixed Spanish and indigenous ancestry. Some indigenous people in the highlands or jungle still live as their ancestors have for thousands of years. However, old ways are changing with the rise of a middle class, different role models for women, and better public education, which is free and compulsory for ages 6 through 16. Transportation and communication are also improving in larger cities. The family remains the most important social group with strong patriarchal leadership. 
In 2015, the World Bank declared Peru's economy to be one of the best in Latin America. But some 30% still live below the poverty line. Fishing in the ocean and numerous rivers, mining for silver, copper, and oil, and tourism with three million annual visitors are the major industries. Peru is the eighth largest fruit and vegetable producer in the world. Exotic fruits such as cacao fruit, kamu kamu, lucuma, and mango are cultivated along with potatoes, corn, asparagus, cucumbers, and grapes. Many Peruvians work hard just to survive, but religious and ethnic festivals are a time of relaxing and enjoying life. Carnival is celebrated in the spring, and Independence Days are July 28th through 29th. In addition, most communities have their own saint or patron with yearly festivals involving dancing and colorful costumes, local food, market stalls, and often fireworks. Other leisure activities include football or soccer, their favorite sport, as well as volleyball, basketball, and baseball. Hiking and mountaineering or swimming and surfing on the beach. After a hard day's work, people relax at home with the family or go out with friends for a meal at a cafe. Many Peruvian dishes are spicy, such as ceviche, marinated raw white fish cooked in lime juice with peppers and onions. Street vendors and restaurants serve various seafood dishes, roast guinea pig, Chinese fried rice, juanes, fish or chicken steamed with rice or yuca in a banana leaf, tamales, and John's favorite, lomo saltado. As in most of Latin America, Roman Catholicism is the primary religion with 81% professing to be Catholic. Most have only nominal allegiance to the church with about 15% attending weekly mass. About 12% of the people are evangelical. The ABWE Peru team is composed of 22 missionaries working in four areas, Lima, the capital, Chiclayo in the northwest, Iquitos, a city in the jungle, and Arequipa in the south. The focus has been evangelism, discipleship, church planting, and leadership training. In order to continue to train and grow pastors and leaders, ABWE missionaries established Bible institutes. The Bible Institute in Iquitos was founded in 1948 and currently offers 78 classes for a four-year degree, including specialized classes for music, youth and children's ministries, and correspondence courses. Right now, there is a need for teachers at the Bible Institute, and I will be involved in teaching. I will be working with Carol Patton teaching MKs and Peruvian children. We also desire to partner with Peruvian pastors, wives, and lay leaders to help strengthen and grow churches. The Calvario Church was established in the 60s, and the core families are still faithful. One such family is the Valdivia family, and I have known them for about 50 years. We were able to visit with them during our survey trip in August. The Valdivias are believers, and Miguel was a Bible Institute graduate. Two of the Valdivia sisters, Rocio and Sharon, are still faithful members at Calvario. 
The church has a new large building that is used for multi-church events. However, they are without a pastor now and need direction for growth. Another church is Belen Templo. They have a great youth group with teens who are excited about growing in the Lord and reaching out to the lost. Pastor Josue Kanakiti's church in Naota, a city upriver from Iquitos, is working on two new church plants. Numerous villages up and down the river have small churches as well. Most of the proving pastors work full-time to support their families, so they need to help with teaching and with the preaching responsibilities and with organizing special events, outreaches, or projects in their churches. A great need also exists to encourage leaders to faithfully stay the course and continue sound biblical teaching. We plan to serve in Iquitos doing evangelism and discipleship preaching, teaching, and training leaders, helping and encouraging pastors and lay leaders in church growth and strengthening. Thank you for your continued prayers as we travel in the States and transition to Peru. As a teen, I claimed Isaiah 6-8 as my life verse. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God sent me as a single, to Japan, with John to Spain, and now our family to Peru for a new chapter in ministry. Thank you for your part in helping us go and make disciples. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of idea about Peru and how God's been working and leading to have us go there. We are very thankful for our churches that have been faithfully supporting, but we do realize that a lot of our churches right now are not in a position to raise our support, and we do need to raise about $500 a month support, even going to Peru where it costs less than it does in Spain. So what um, we would like to do is give you a challenge, and if the Lord would lay this um, on someone's heart, we have 26 supporting churches. So $500 a month sounds like a lot, but if we had one individual or family in each of our supporting churches that would say, hey, I can give you $20 a month, then that would take care of what we need. And to me, that breaks it down kind of a little bit more into a doable goal. So we are hoping to go in April to Peru and to go into our next um, ministry there, our new adventure. And if God would lay that on someone's heart, then um, you can come and talk to us. We have some slips you can fill out and um, send it into the mission, and we would appreciate that. And we do appreciate your continued prayers for us as well. We would um, just like to say thank you for having us. We enjoyed dinner last night um, at, what was it, Friars? Is that the name of it? Does everybody else like that restaurant too? That was good. So it's just good to, to be able to be here and see some familiar faces again. And John's going to talk a little bit, and then we'll have some question and answer time if you have questions that you'd like to, to ask. Okay. Well, I, I did want to say that uh, Wendy and the girls are a great, uh, not, not just a, an asset to the ministry, but they're part of the ministry as well. I know that growing up that uh, my brothers and my sister and I, we, we brought a lot of people into the home that my parents were able to to minister to, but what what I'd like to do this um, this afternoon is 
to share about some of the people that we've been working with and, and so forth and, and some of the, the work going on in Peru. But I'd like, I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 4. And I just I have two uh, verses I'd like to read. Um, when, when we were on our survey trip, the, this passage really came to mind. Uh, John 4, 35 through 36. Some of you already know it. You don't have to turn there. But uh, it says... Um, you know, Jesus is talking, and, and uh, he says in verse 35, he says, Do you not say four months more, and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Um, and, of course, here Jesus is saying that witnessing is like planting a seed. Uh, the, the, the fields are ready for harvest. They're like people ready to respond to the gospel and be saved. Talking about reaching the lost. Um, the disciples probably thought it would take quite a while for these Samaritans to respond to anything that he would have taught or they would have taught. But he's saying that, no, they're ready. And um, the other thing that he was trying to point out here, and, and you know, two, two of the, the phrases that kind of stand out are, open your eyes and look at the fields. These people were ready to listen to the gospel and ready to respond. And I'll, I'll share, like I said, I'll share a little bit more about how people responded in Peru, some that still need to. Um, and, and it's all in God's timing. But you, you see this contrast between what the disciples were, what, where their mind was, and what where Jesus' mind was. Jesus wanted his disciples to be aware of the situation. So I'm not just talking as a missionary. Of course, I'm going to be working in Peru, working overseas, but this, this pertains to all of us. Wherever we are, some of us are in, a lot of us are in secular jobs, secular situations, but, or maybe even your, your family, your extended family. But um, Jesus wanted his disciples to be aware of the situation, what's going around, uh, on around them. And sometimes we get so busy with our life that we fail to do that, and we need to be reminded of that. Uh, they were concerned about what? They got there, they were concerned about eating food. Hey, we got to go get the food, you know. That is very important. Now, the Bible and God isn't saying it isn't important. We need to eat. We have to have food for our bodies. But that's not always the most important. Jesus was interested in reaching these lost people who were ready and eager to be saved. And it's great because he give us, gives us this promise, this calling by the Lord to his disciples includes promises of a reward in the future and talking about doing it together. The fruit or harvest involves eternal joy. So I, I'm gonna just I'm gonna just talk about some of the things that God did to uh, uh, working on people's lives and preparing me uh, to work in, in Iquitos. Uh, I think of uh, the Valdivias, Miguel Valdivia. We see these faithful, these these faithful uh, people of the Lord and Sometimes what we fail to, to remember is the great sacrifices they had, they had to make in their lives. At the time, Miguel Valdivia and his wife, they decided they were going to follow the Lord. And they, when they were saved and they were decided to follow the Lord, it ostracizes them from part of their extended family. It ostracizes them from their coworkers, from their neighbors. You know, back then, you, you go to church, you walk to church, you've got your Bible, and you've got your hymn book. It makes you stand out. Everyone knows you're an evangelical. And you had a lot of pressure from the priest, from the Catholic Church, um, against people that would follow them. And so this, this could, you know, they could, some people could lose their job. And I know he was in the, the Navy. 
but I know Miguel probably got a lot of flack from some of his, uh, a lot of pressure from some of his, uh, the people in the Navy there that served with him because he was an evangelical. It really set them apart. But, but you see the fruit of that, you know, his, his uh, children moving on and continuing with the faith and serving in their churches. And it's just, it's so exciting to see. The, the, I would say now, if you were to go to Iquitos, it's different. You saw the percentage of, of evangelicals in, in the country now. They've grown. The, the, the group of evangelicals has grown, but not back when they made this big step of faith. So when, when I think about their lives, Miguel and Olinda, his wife, it was a great sacrifice for them, as well as their, their contemporaries. One of the ladies that we met, um, in fact, I was... I shared my testimony at the Bible Institute. I was invited. And after I shared and we, we finished the session, uh, several pastors came to me and asked me if I would preach at their church. And so I had to take a rain check on most of them. And I was able to preach at the Monte de Dios church on a Sunday night. But the other Sunday, um, I wanted to, I made a point to go to Oreb, uh, Mount Horeb uh, Baptist Church. Um, because there was a lady there, her name is Doña Soraida, um, and uh, I, I wanted to see this lady because I remember as, as a boy, when my, my parents were working in the city of Requena that's along the river, right after the Amazon River starts, right about where the Amazon River starts, there's the city of Requena, and uh, by one of those rivers that forms the Amazon. And uh, when my parents moved there, there was a family, the wife, um, owned, owned and operated a store, one of the main stores in town, and the husband had this business where basically he had this boat, this launch, and they would take goods between Iquitos and, and Requena, back and forth, back and forth. Well, my dad was faithful, and she even reminded me of this, and I know, I know he had, I knew that he had uh, had witnessed to her for years. I just couldn't remember how long, but my dad had witnessed to her for eight years, every day, faithfully, and she remembers that. She says, you know, your dad never gave up on me, and she was telling also about this one occasion. My dad had witnessed to her several times, several times, and so she was walking by the church. I don't know if she just went, went by um, purposely, but she was walking by the church on a Sunday evening, and she, she heard Jerry Russell, who was a single missionary, uh, preach. And back then, you preach like an hour, an hour and a half, okay? Some of those people come in out from their farms on the river. They're going to be there a while. You don't have a, a 30 or 40 minute service. You've got to have a long one because they made a long trek. trek. They brought their whole family, including the dog. In fact, my dad, there was a section in the back behind all the benches um, that they had dogs would come in with their families and they were back there, didn't bother anyone. My dad would say, you know, there's some of those dogs are more faithful than some of the members of the church. <laughs> That's true, they had their own little area there, but they'd bring the whole family. She stood outside there and listened to that whole sermon. She was just so fixed with God's word and it, it, it made an impact. And not only was she saved, but her children were saved and it took the, uh, the boat that they used for their business, the sinking of their boat. Now, basically, it was, it's like if you have a factory and it goes up in flames and you don't have any insurance. Basically, you don't have a business anymore. That's basically what happened. There was no insurance on that. So they lost it plus any, everything that was on board. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they had some 
large engines on it too. So they lost that in the Amazon River too. But God used that, I don't remember all these details, but God used that to bring her husband to the Lord. All his, worth, all his earthly possessions went down the river. But she says, you know, and she said that. I didn't get it from her. She just, she told me that. She said, you know, it was worth it. Why was it worth it? The salvation of her husband. God's working. He's doing great things. Um, when I went to Iquitos, um, I went to the house where, where I grew up as a, like from 10, 12 years on up till I graduated from high school, uh, located on the Yavari Street. We always call it the Yavari House, which is owned by the mission. And that's where my brother and sister-in-law are staying right now. But I went there several, we went there several times during our stay on our survey trip. So I was basically in the neighborhood I grew up in. And uh, I wanted to make it a point to go visit my best friend, Roger, Roger Flores, Roger Flores. And we had spent many times playing soccer. He fell, fell out of our mame tree in the front, broke his arm, went to the hospital. You know, that's a big, long story. But we had a lot of, and I'd go to his house. We didn't have a television. I, when I grew up, we had a television in the States, but we bought it for, it was, I think, a quarter or something, or a dollar and a quarter, and then we had to pay someone to fix it, so it ended up being $7, a black and white TV to watch Gunsmoke. But uh, on the mission field, we didn't have a TV, so I had to go to his house to watch soccer games and things like that. So I got to know his whole family, and I had to go see him. And before I went down there, my brother said, you know, John, Roger um, had a, a few years back, had about what, where, he had, uh, where he got into uh, alcohol and drugs, but he's clean, he, you know, doesn't go, he hasn't gone back, he, you know, he's clean right now, and he's, he, you know, he's married, and he has kids and grandkids, and they, they own and operate this restaurant, it's called the, the El Gato Macho, and so we went there, but on my way, on my way, just basically, I just had, the, the Yavari house is almost on a corner, so I had to go to the opposite, the, the other side of the, the other end of the block, rather, and walking by, the, the half, halfway down the block, I had to pass this one home. Now, growing up, what was the home? It was the witch doctor's house. We didn't even, I didn't even know his name. <laughs> I knew what he looked like, but he had kind of white hair, so he kind of stood out anyways. He had this white hair, and he was El Brujo. He was the witch doctor. And even the, the, the Peruvians would kind of, you didn't walk on the sidewalk. You just kind of want to went around the sidewalk because you just kind of have this feeling going by. Well, that witch doctor, El Brujo, is a Christian, and so are his, so is his family, members of his family. Now he wor he uses a cane now, you know, to get around, but he's saved. But anyway, so I go by the Brujo's house and I go, yes, God saved this man. And I right after I went by, there's this man coming by on his motorcycle. And he said, he said, uh, Miguel, I'm not Miguel. He says, Miguel. I was like, who's Miguel? You know, I don't, I'm not Miguel. You got me mis mixed up with something I was thinking. He's trying to, he, he recognizes me. I don't know why he's saying Miguel. He was telling me his name. <laughs> he should have said John, and then I would respond. Well, anyways, this was Roger's older brother. He just wanted to greet me. He was going to stop by and say hi to his family and go on. Anyway, so I got to meet Roger's, uh, Roger's uh, brother, and uh, then I got to meet Roger's family. His, his mother, uh, uh, Doña Reina, is doing poorly. She had fell, fallen and hurt, hurt her hip, 
but they have, they operate and own own this uh, restaurant. So we went there twice and we got to visit with them. He's unsaved. He's not saved. Roger's not saved. We've he's heard the gospel. So that's someone you can pray about. Another one of my friends. Um, he grew up across the street from me. His name is Wilson. If you if you forget, it's you know the the brand of you know, volleyball or soccer ball, Wilson, you know. Uh, but, uh, well, anyways, Wilson would come over to the house a lot. I remember we played a lot of soccer, and uh, when I would eat a snack, if, if it fell on the floor, he would grab it. I mean, my, my, my pets wouldn't get at it. He would grab it first and put it in his mouth before there was any question. So, you know, well, he's going to eat it. My dog's not going to eat it or whatever. You know, he's going to eat it. But he's, uh, he's moved on, you know, I, he went to college, he went to the university, and he's uh, working for a, uh, some kind of a, an organization that works with the Indians and so forth. But Wilson is not saved, he's not a believer, it's someone that I want to witness to when I get back there. But he was very desirous to get to see me when I was there. I did not let him know I was there because I was very busy. And I was afraid, I didn't want to take a whole date because I thought, well, I'll see him when I get, you know, when I go there full time. But he found out I was there. He went to visit his family. And lo and behold, who does he see put the car in the garage? My brother. So he has to go across the street. Hey, Andy, great to see you. I didn't know you were back in town. Well, somehow the conversation got around to John and Wendy are here. He says, oh, I want to go see him. So I'm getting ready for bed at the hotel. And he, Andy calls, says, Wilson's on his way to the hotel. So I had to get my clothes back on. And I went downstairs, waited for him. We had a great conversation. He's looking forward to me going back. But Wilson, he's a typical, I mean, uh, you know, we, I think, I'm, I'm thinking in Sunday school class, uh, we, we were reminded of this, but we were like that too. Um, we had those same problems before we were, we were Christians, you know. But he's divorced, you know, he's got children, um, he's got two daughters, and uh, one he calls Gordita, just in an affectionate way, a little, you know. And, but, uh, so he's got two daughters, but uh, he, he's between where he lives, and sometimes he has to go visit his, his other daughter and so forth, and he's very lonely. He's a friend of mine on Facebook, but he's very lonely. And so be in prayer for, for Wilson and also my, my opportunities to witness to him that he'll come to know the Lord. I want to share about one other guy. We were members of the tennis club in, in, uh, in Iquitos where I played basketball and so forth. And uh, there was a man there that did a lot of training with uh, some of the swimmers. And everyone called him profe, which means kind of coach. His name was coach. Okay? Everyone knew him as profe. Well, he's the last person I thought would come to know the Lord. It's like, how is he going to be a believer how is he gonna be saved well I found out not only is he saved but so are his sons and they're active in the church it's so exciting to see what's got what God is doing in the lives of these people I'll share one more thing and then we'll get on to uh, some some uh, things that I'd like to share there was uh, the besides uh, sharing at the church, preaching at the church, and uh, sharing my testimony at the institute, one of the youth pastors got in touch with me and said, I, I want to invite you, I'm going to have a special guest, you're going to be my special guest, I want to invite you to a youth meeting that we're going to have at Belen Templo on Saturday night. Well, I went with my brother, and uh, I shared my testimony again with them, 
They have a great dynamic group. They have uh, 20 to 25 young people to come regularly to their youth meetings on Saturday night. And that's, that is saying, I mean, that's a good group for Iquitos. And uh, they're very excited to, to you know, uh, about learning uh, the Bible and so forth and, and meeting together with other believers. Well, the history of this youth group goes like this. One of the youth, they have like two main youth leaders, and one of the ones that are, is there uh, approached my brother and said, uh, Brother Andy, I've got a problem. My pa- our pastor asked me to head up the youth group. I have no idea how to do it. What can I do? I want to make sure this is successful. This is a man that I don't think has very much education. I think he took classes at the Bible Institute and so forth. But he, he didn't have any idea. So my, my brother helped him out with that. So he was involved there. And so a lot of the youth knew Andy. And um, the youth group, the youth leaders, uh, approached my brother and sister Andy and Carol and said, look, um, one of the girls that comes to our young ladies that comes to our youth group, she her quinceañera is coming up. It's when they celebrate the 15th birthday. In, in the Hispanic uh, world, it is a very important date. Okay? I don't know what to compare it to in American society. Okay, almost like a guy turning 18 or something, but it's very important. You have this, you have a party. Well, there wasn't anything going to be done at home. Okay, I don't know if it's just because they didn't have money, but they wanted to celebrate it, and so they were, they asked the church, Belen Templo, if they could do it at at the church during one of the youth meetings and so forth. And of course, it involves decorating stuff. And so Carol loves doing that. So they did. So they, did, they, they put on this very big, um, and they used the church, they put on this very big uh, decorated and so forth for her quinceanera. Now at the time, this, la- this young lady was not a believer, okay? She was going to the youth group. There was, a, there was a young man that she was interested in that was going to the youth group, and he's one of the leaders now. But she was, so anyways, after that, as a result of that event, you think, well, that's just a, just a party, you know, or whatever. As a result of that, the father who was unsaved came. Some of the family, unsaved family members, members came. And as a result of that, this young lady came to know the Lord. There's a church that has an interest in her and in, in her well-being. And it just it goes a long way. And so I got to meet her boyfriend. They're not married yet, but her boyfriend. They're telling me the story. And they're one of the leaders there. Um, in in the church, and I was I, it was very exciting uh, to to hear the details of that. So these are some of the people that God is working. God is working in life. Um, after the after the youth meeting, I went to the front of the church where I was able to. Of course, I knew him from before, but I got to meet the pastor. And they're building a parsonage right on the church property. Now that's not much room. I think the parsonage is probably. Uh, the size of the uh, uh, the area up here, uh, maybe to the wall, but it's it's very small. And he's looking forward to moving in there. They bought their bricks. They're going to do the work themselves to save money. And uh, some of the the bricks were stolen, so it 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 was uh, it's going to take longer. They're going to have to buy the bricks to replace that. And when they f- first started the project, one of the men up on the scaffold fell. He fell off and hurt himself, and they thought he was not going to make it. But he's recovered, and he's back to work. And he, But this pastor is looking forward to getting into the parsonage once they finish. So but God's working in these people's lives. Uh, the, the church is going great. This is a church 
Now, there were two areas, two homes that I lived in, and I went to Belen Templo when I was a, a small boy, <laughs> like uh, seven years old. You know, when I was younger, that's the church I went to. And the pastor was Joaquin Silva from Brazil. He went to Iquitos to go to the Bible Institute. So we had Brazilians coming to the Bible Institute in Iquitos to get biblical training. So he stayed in Iquitos and became the pastor of Belen Templo. And I, as a boy, would sit down. Uh, we didn't have children's church. The whole family sat there in the, in the pew. And I would listen to Joaquin Silva, and he would wear sometimes a long sleeve shirt in that very hot climate. And, I, and the hour would be up. He'd be done preaching. It's like, it just started. I can't believe it. And I always thought, if I become a preacher someday, I want to be just like Joaquin Silva. I just loved, I just, I wanted to carry that on. I thought he was such a good, good pastor. He was such a good, good preacher. But anyways, these are, these are some of the things God's done so much in my life. I hope sometime I can share a testimony of uh, uh, maybe in a future occasion how God worked in my life. And I know I'd shared it here before, but you, many of you have forgotten um, how I had appendicitis. Uh, I was in I was in the, actually in the mountains of Peru back in 1986, uh, before, this is the summer I met Ruth, but uh, when we got together, and uh, I had appendicitis in the mountains in, in Ica, Peru, and they operated on me in Lima and so forth. Someday, I hope to share that. That was one of the things I shared with my testimony. But God's done so much. I remember when my parents moved to, after their work in Requena was done, they moved to this uh, small church in Tamanco, and when, when we went as a family, we actually uh, pushed, uh, with a boat, we pushed this two-story houseboat, basically just uh, tied it up there along the Amazon River, and right up, as you go up the bank, there's the church. There's the Baptist Church of Tamanco. And uh, the pastor comes knocking on the door. I mean, we got there the, day, the night before, right? The pastor comes knocking on the door. Don Federico, you are going to preach today, aren't you? Yes, yeah. Well, so he's ready for that. Uh, you are going to teach Sunday school, right? Well, if you need me to, I will. So dad starts uh, teaching Sunday school. He was uh, talking about a baptism or something. They had no idea what he's talking about. Well, now we know what to talk about. So that was the subject for Sunday school. But anyways, it's going great. The pastor, his, his family, some of them are involved in either being pastors or pastor's wives. And uh, anyways, it's, uh, it's just exciting to see how, how God works in, in these people's lives. Well, while we were there, I remember in, the, in that two-story houseboat, we did a lot of things. We used to jump off the second story into the water and all that stuff. I would never let my kids do that, but I did that as a child. I'm still alive in one piece, you know. But uh, we, we used to swim with the piranhas, but we had to make sure we didn't have any cuts on us. Otherwise, we'd be attacked by those piranhas and stuff. But uh, I remember, besides playing soldiers and Batman, you know, putting a, a towel around my neck and be Batman, one of the things my brother Tom and I would play is preaching. And I don't know where we got these. I look at it, and it's like, how could I have a podium that small? I don't know if they were desks or podiums, but I have, there was, I mean, we actually have a picture of us. We're standing up there, you know, we have our little New Testament or Bible, and he's over there, and I'm here taking, church, uh, take, taking turns preaching, you know. 
and there was more fire and brimstone that came down there than a, than a week-long, you know, uh, special uh, tent meeting uh, during those. Uh, but uh, we wanted to be preachers when, when we grew up. But uh, it's just great how God's worked. Little did I know what God would do in my life. I wanted to leave this open. I don't know how much time we have. There's so much that I would like to share. But I wanted to open this time. Honey, I don't know if you want to come up here. And There's a time of uh, I want question and answer. Sometimes by us answering your questions, uh, there might be some things we don't even discuss or, or talk about. That uh, And I don't know if you, there's anything else you wanted to share. Oh, anything I want to yeah, share? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, one of the things that really impressed me when I was in Peru, we went over to um, Rocio's house. Now, in Spain, we would say Rocio. So if I mix the name up, you understand why. But in Peru, it's Rocio, so I'll try to get it right. Uh, we went over to her house. It's part of the Valdivia family that was in there. And she and her family had been believers for a long time. She was just so excited and happy to meet Juanito, which anybody who knows Spanish knows that means little Johnny. So <laughs> I kind of laughed when I heard that lots of times down there. Um, so happy to see him and his family again. And she invited us to her house. And she's, ah, oh, mi casa is tu casa. And she was just so excited about that. And um, my house is your house. And she just radiated joy and happiness, just joy and contentment in the Lord and thankful that she could share with us. And she said, you know, my house is your house. And I looked at her house. Her house had dirt floors. Uh, she had some kind of like mosquito netting to keep out the bugs. And then if it rained, she would fold down white plastic to keep the rain out. Those were her windows. And she had rickety stairs to go up to her teeny tiny bedroom, which had mosquito netting around it to help protect her. My girls loved it. They thought it was a princess bed. And she has a sink outside in kind of a little lean-to area, a little tiny two-burner thing for her stove to cook, table outside with a few chairs, you know, and a little lean-to type area. Now it is hot year-round there, so it's different than living in Michigan, a house like that, but here she is so content and excited about sharing what she has with me. And the Lord convicted me and just thought, wow, Wendy, you have so, so much more. And yet sometimes you just don't appreciate it and, you know, aren't content. And so it was just really exciting, um, convicting as well to me to see her and her enthusiasm and wanting to teach, you know, in church and and things and sharing what she had. It was just an encouragement to me to um, share what I have <laughs> more um, with others and, and as well to be content. We have so much here in America and um, sometimes we don't really, we aren't really as thankful and appreciative as we should be of it. Now I do have to say after I told you all those things about her house, she also did later plug in her smartphone. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, how does that one fit? But um, you know, so you can put it in perspective a little bit there too. But it was just really uh, neat to be able to meet um, Rocio and to see her joy there. So, I, I just wanted to add this. From a worldly perspective, she has every right. I mean, God wouldn't say this, okay? But I'm saying from a worldly perspective, someone who is not saved would say she has every right to complain. Her father passed away basically as a result of uh, a chiropractor was uh, doing some some work, something on her, his back and her neck, and basically paralyzed him. 
okay? And he, he died as a result. He lived after that, but it really deteriorated his health and he ended up dying. Um, his, her, Rocio's sister, um, let one of her sisters, the one that's not following the Lord, uh, left her husband with two children. And so Rocio raised two nie one niece and one nephew in her home. She's a single lady. She works uh, for the Navy as a, as a uh, doing the books there. But uh, she has, I mean, she doesn't have a lot of money, but she raised them till they're old enough to go to college, go off on their own. Um, you know, she has, a, there are a lot of things, you know, she could think of, but she was, she's always very, she encourages you. You know, she's the one that's encouraging you and, and you know, giving gifts to you. It's just, it's incredible. Just her attitude is really great. We, we wanted to open this up for any questions you might have about us or about the ministry, about the country itself. Yes. A lot of people have cell phones there. Um, yes, and you will see that. Now, and I don't know, do you ever wonder how people clean their, their mud floors? They, they sprinkle water on it. They let it get hard, and then they'll sweep what's on top. But you, you do sweep a mud floor, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but I grew up with that. So, But that's what they do. They just, every day they'll sprinkle water on it, and it basically makes it really real hard. And then whatever's left, they just sweep to clean their house, their mud floor. Now, when we go yes, there, they, we, there we won't have to have a dirt floor in our house, so don't. <laughs> we did not have air conditioning, and it's hot. It's uh, it's hot and humid. I was talking to someone who was in Asia, but basically, you think of Asia, it's the same, um, and the hot and humidity is always there. So you have to be careful about getting scratches or cuts because everything grows. Uh, plants grow, animals grow, bacteria grow. So you have to watch it very carefully because if it gets infected, just things it thrives. You know, basically those bacteria they thrive, and they can get. And and also, you know, as you pray for the missionaries that the God will protect them from the various diseases because we have dengue fever, we have malaria. Um, there's uh, the uh, hepatitis, etc. And so forth that, that you get there. Anything related to the tuberculosis is always very. It's very pretty common. Um, most people that live enough time in the jungle, when they do their TB test, they always test positive because they're just around it all the time. So just the, that's something you can always be in prayer about. Yes? We are going to be in the city of Iquitos. Um, the, the scenarios as far as missionaries has changed a lot. Our mission... With us, it will be a, a, a team of seven people. There used to be many more couples and families there as, as, as with our mission. Um, so we'll only be seven people. We have, uh, we'll be one of three couples, and then there's a single lady that works with the deaf ministry. Her name is Lynn. I, I grew up with her. We went to school together at our school in Iquitos. Um, but she works with the deaf. Um, but there are other mission organizations, which is different because when I grew up there, there weren't other, there were not uh, very many mission organizations. But there are other mission organizations that have a, have a few. Each one has a few missionaries, um, and a lot of them are they use Iquitos as the base, but they work in some towns and villages. Some actually work with the Indians, so 
And I, I want to I want to define Indian too. So they use it Iquitos as a base, but they work in some of these uh, river towns or villages. Um, the term Indian has changed over the years. Originally, you think of if you're Indian because that's your race, you know, your blood. But that that is not the case anymore. Now, when you say Indian in Peru, it's someone who not only has Indian blood or descendancy, but you live like an Indian. You wear like you know you wear the the clothes that Indians wear, and you'll speak their language. That is an Indian. So you can have 100% Indian blood. But if you wear these clothes, you're not an Indian. In there, yeah. But so that socially, that's changed. So that that's how they make the distinction. So it's not ra it's not a racial thing, which I think is good, probably. They have the same language. They do pronounce some of their their words differently. I'll have to relearn. <laughs> I've been speaking the same way for 20 years. It is the same language, but they will use some other terms for uh, some of the words. You know, like in Peru, it's if you have a, an automobile, is a carro. In Spain, it's a coche. Uh, it's you know, etc. There's some different words, and then like I said, pronunciation of some of the words is a little bit different too. But it's the same language. Yeah, it's the same language. Um, but uh, so that that will help a lot. Um, they have, uh, I, I adapt pretty quickly. Wherever I am, my, my speech adapts very quickly um, to, I, I don't know, it's just being an MK, but you adapt very quickly to where you are for survival. I think it's kind of a, I don't think it's a conscious, I think it's a subconscious thing. But uh, the way they speak where I, we're going to be working, it's kind of a sing-songy thing, the way of, uh, of speaking. I mean, think of like, you know, Italians or something. It's kind of a sing-songy way of talking. Uh, it's it's a it's an acquired way to talk, but that they talk they speak differently where we are than they do, uh, you know, other places. What? Oh, yes, it's the it's the capital, and you have just it's uh, it's amazing. Um, we we were surprised, yeah, how many people from Peru? So a great percentage of people in Peru live in Lima. A good percentage live in Lima. Um, and uh, we were just surprised uh, how many people, how many flights and so forth go through the city of Lima. They're, they're one of the hubs for South America. They're working on a second air landing strip. And once they do that, they'll be one of the main hubs in South America, at least Spanish-speaking South America. So right now it's between them and Colombia. Um, they're, they're, they're rivals. Uh, but uh, they're one of the top hubs, so they'll land in Lima and then they'll go to another country. Yes? I think, I think it's fairly easy. Um, as, as I understand it, it is fairly easy. Um, you have to kind of Go through your P's and Q's, you know, all the, the jot and tittle things. I think overall, compared to other countries, it is easier. But you have to go through that. And sometimes, uh, go, you know, if you use a lawyer, you find out it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard because they keep asking for more money for this paper and that paper. Um, so it, it can get, you can get bogged down in that, but overall it is good.
there, there, are, there are immigrants into Peru. Um, that is a problem in South America. It's a, I think it's, it's worse in like countries like Colombia. It, it's much worse because they're closer. Uh, they, but there are, and I know uh, on the uh, sites, my friends from Peru on Facebook will mention that subject where these, the people from Venezuela, you know, they're getting jobs and the Peruvians, they don't, you know, they're unemployed. So that's always gonna be a hot issue and there are Venezuelans there. Um, I was surprised, that's, that's what one thing that has changed is in Iquitos you have people from other countries more than you used to before. Um, so yeah, you will, there are Venezuelans there. I asked and they, they said yes. Yes, sorry. Um, I, I think right now it, it, is, it is good. I think overall it is good compared to other even Spanish-speaking countries. Um, I don't think there's a lot of hostility. <coughs> and probably because they see it as, as, as a good influence in their country, they've seen a lot of good that has come. I mean, people, even unsaved people, they see the good that it, it's doing it's changing people's lives for the better. I don't, I don't, right now I don't see a lot of hostility. I know in some countries that has raised its head, um, but I think in Peru right now, I don't think there's a lot of problem with that, um, like I've seen in some other Spanish speaking countries. But I think, I think right now they have, they have a lot of, uh, there, there's growth among some, some of those, some of those churches, not all the evangelical churches that, you know, like we believe, but there's there's great group there there large groups of, of evangelicals there, so I think that that can only be good for us. But you know it, cha it could change, <laughs> it could change very quickly. But right now I think uh, being an evangelical is not the it doesn't hold the stigma that it used to before. I don't know if that's good or bad, but to be an evangelical, hey, that's fine, you know. But I think that's basically their their attitude, the unsaved people's attitude. Um, but it's not necessarily negative as much as it used to be. I, I just, God works in, in such incredible ways. I remember getting ready, both, going both ways, but especially going to Peru, we would usually use, there was an airline called Fossa Airlines, and at the time when it was in existence, it's since, uh, it's since uh, uh, no longer in functioning, but it was it w had the best uh, reputation as far as uh, the record of, of you know least crashes of any other airline in the world. Okay, had the best reputation, um, best history. Um, but I remember checking on, and we, we always had excess baggage, and we're like, well, this you know according to the, we're supposed to be paying this much. They would just let us uh, take the excess baggage. We didn't know these ladies that were helping us, you know, the ticket agents. We didn't know them, but they would just always, and I, I don't know anyone else, they let do that. And we don't know if they were evangelical, if they had a family member that was evangelical, or they just knew we were there to do good. Because it's not like we're going there to live a better life. I mean, they know that. We're leaving a good life here to go there to do something. We have no, I have no idea. I can't explain it. But they did that, and, and it saved us a lot of money. 
Um, I, I can't explain it. I probably won't know until I get to heaven. But that happened time after time after time. We don't know why. Okay. Well, I don't know if there's someone that, if you want me to pray to finish, or would you like to? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in the country of Peru specifically. And we just pray that you'll prepare the hearts of those who will hear the gospel, uh, whether it be pastors or whether it be people from the churches or whether it be us as missionaries. We pray that you will work in their hearts, help them be open, help them not to fear. And I just pray, too, that you will meet the needs of all the pastors and their wives and their families and those who want to um, serve in the church. We just pray that you'll meet all their uh, needs and uh, show yourself in, in their lives and help them as they reach out to others. We just pray that you'll meet all our financial needs so we can get to the field in, in April and uh, work at all the details out. We, we uh, put our faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.